Welcome back to Any Given Thursday. As always, your hosts, Max, me, David, you. Mm. Woo! I'm David. Uh, we're still amidst our winter break here um, as we count down the days and weeks and month until the return of European football. But in the meantime, as promised last week with our club spotlight, St. Gilles, you should ca- catch that on our feeds. Um, we're going to do a very special new thing today. Um, it's kind of a concept that we uh, stole, basically, yeah. from various people, but notably in my life, uh, Bill Simmons, of you know, head of the ringer, mm-hmm. does this with shows and with like basketball games and stuff. Um, something I got into uh, in the midst of the pandemic and various lockdowns, listening to these and then going back and watching old games and basketball. Um, so we thought we'd try something similar here um, with the Europa League. Yeah, um, there's a lot of good, uh, rich content, of former games, um, things that obviously people know about famous Champions League things, Liverpool, Milan. Yeah, <laughs> it's wanted to bring that up. 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. In a pretty unmemorable final. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, the Liverpool, uh, Barcelona at Anfield there you know there's crazy matches and stuff yeah, that are uh, obvious in the Champions League but almost come back against Barcelona right great example a lot of things against Barcelona yeah because we don't Barcelona are always yeah but this isn't the same reason we do this podcast that doesn't really seem to exist um at the Europa League level there's a lot of stuff I think people just don't remember the history of the tournament yeah um and a lot of and some of the winners obviously but um today we're not even going to talk about a winner we're going to talk about the runners-up of first the loser. 2009 first loser yeah. the 2009 2010 europa league and that would be english side fulham yeah i think we should say when we're doing this we're going to go through their entire run but we're kind of going to focus on one game as an example we're hone in on one of game that run. which would be second leg of the round of 16 against italian giants juventus mm-hmm. um in which they completed uh come back down 3-1 in the first leg they win 4-1 at home um at the cottage yeah they and advance to the quarterfinals would go on again uh to the final where they eventually lost an extra time to atletico madrid mm-hmm. no shame in that but um so yeah we're gonna i think we're gonna start from the beginning here um and then we when we get to the juve game we're gonna take a deep pause uh deep pause that's not a phrase yeah, and we're gonna dive a we're deep gonna dive. do a deep dive we're do a pause and a deep dive a yeah. deep pause okay uh, <laughs> when we're we get there up with new slang yeah we're talking about the game we're talking about the goals we're gonna talk about the tactics stuff we noticed that's different 13 yeah. years ago than it is now um and, and you, what i think we're just gonna call this episode something we pulled from the sky sports coverage mm-hmm. um I'm so sorry. I don't remember. I was, it was Peter Drury, but could I don't, have been, yeah. don't know for a fact. He said uh, after the full-time whistle and semifinal against Hamburg, he called it the tidal wave on the Thames. So I don't want to pull that without acknowledging that we're stealing that too. Um, but the tidal wave on the Thames begin. Let's begin. The story begins with Fulham's 08-09 season where they finished seventh in the league. Now, if you're not that familiar with English football, you may wonder, is that good? It doesn't seem that good. For them, for Fulham, it's pretty good. They went 14 really wins, football. 11 draws, 13 losses, or maybe it's 11 losses, 13 draws. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Collecting an impressive 53 points on plus five goal differential. They finished above clubs like Tottenham, West Ham, Manchester City, 
and Newcastle, who were relegated that season. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, kind of shows the change in the Premier League in particular. It really does. Since yeah. that time, I mean. West Ham was sort of like... Uh, West Ham's not far off where they are now. Like, no, they're about the same. I think West Ham like wanted to be an Everton, I think, then, yeah. but weren't. Uh, obviously, no. City are the perennial winners now. Spurs are top four contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that shows how long, how how much has changed in not that long of a time. Um, they got some famous wins this season, though. They beat eventual champions Manchester United, and not eventual champions Arsenal, but did finish top four. Uh, both at home. Um, so there was some evidence that they could maybe get at some of these big boys, especially at Craven Cottage. Um. Big piece of this puzzle here was when Roy Hodgson took over in December of 07. The team was battling relegation, um, and it was a dogfight all the way through. They ended up staying up on goal differential only on the final day, yeah. ahead of, I think it was Reading. So the expectations were more or less that they would avoid relegation again, hope to, hopefully with a little more comfort. Mm-hmm. As a, they little had been doing since 2001, right, mm-hmm. was when they came up to the Prem for the first time and so the They've first been, time, not the first, yeah. uh, the first time in the in prem way. in oh, in the new prem. The prem, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They, they, they do believe they fell all the way to League One at League some two. point, League the Two, League Two equivalent in what down year? in 94, 95. 94. Wow, so yeah. really, and they were uh, down there for three seasons, they wow. came 17th in 95, 96. Wow, so they were almost out of the football league as a whole. What an incredible thing, really quickly, right back up to the prem, and it yeah. just been like constant relegation battles every yeah. year except i think they came top half one time uh-huh. since 2001 before the 0809 season so mm-hmm. they just constantly down at the bottom like uh wow trying to think of a modern equivalent but there isn't really one that's just yeah. maybe burnley when they were up but yeah and then so this period of uh contentment um and this excellent couple year run here is gonna starts with roy hodgson and also some smart pieces of business like in 07 clint dempsey arrived american hero mm-hmm. uh legend salute you um the they also brought in an 08 summer of 08 goalkeeper and aussie international max schwarzer from middlesbrough came in striker bobby zamora came in from west ham who will turn out to be a key figure later um and with these ingredients instead of bravely fighting against relegation they finished seventh and also made a run to the quarterfinals of the cup the fa cup so their league achievement meant they would be spit out of the third round of europa league qualifying um so that summer Mm. It's summer, there was a lot of interest in their players from yeah. teams throughout the Premier League and further down the pyramid. As they... tends to happen when you overachieve yeah. in the league for a season. Yeah, I don't think it came as a surprise to anybody. But what came as a surprise was that they held on to pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. Hongoland was getting interest from clubs like Arsenal. Yeah. Right. And he chose. I don't know if they have, I don't think they ever agreed to any fees or anything, but he kind of said, I'm happy at Fulham. I like what's going on here. I get uh-huh. to play. Do well, Bobby Zamora was. They agreed a fee to sell him. You didn't to... think he'd start over Robin Van Persie at Arsenal? Yeah. <laughs> Bobby Zamora, they agreed a fee to sell him the whole city. Wow, did Ooh. they really? Yeah. Rare. Um, the Tigers. Rare. Um, And he said, well, whole city are also going to be fighting relegation. Yeah, that's no fun. And... I can't believe they were willing to sell him. Well, he had a pretty had a bad season. first season. Yeah. But at least from an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Hodgson who in the second half of the season really loved what Zamora could add with a mm. hold up play and passing mm-hmm. a little bit of pressing. He has some, he a little bit of the old school, big body, like yeah. target man, qualities. a little bit of a classic dominating the box, classic target man in the four, four, two, which mm-hmm. is what he would do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just hadn't been scoring, right? He just couldn't find yeah, it back yeah, yeah. in that Hodgson 
talked to him. Zamora said, you know what? I kind of like it here. Whole City's project is definitely no better than what I have at full under. Right. I'm going to stay. And so the only like real loss I had was Leon Andresen, who went for uh-huh. 2.5 to Hanover. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, started most games, but not mm-hmm. like it wasn't a, like a key, key guy. Yeah, it was not one of the first names on the team sheet. Mm-hmm. And then they lacked depth at all, right? They had no depth right. in the squad the year before. So they brought in. Um, You'd have to. We talk about this a lot about teams that aren't usually in the, mm-hmm. aren't, aren't used to getting Europe and then, you know, having to deal with that, like, with the with the doubling your games basically yeah um and during certain periods of the season and like have making sure you have the squad depth to compete and not lose a not yeah. drop all the way down in the table and it's tough because you in the league table are at, at the same time a lot of teams are coming at your players yeah. and giving you offers that are kind of hard to say no to yeah. right like the bobby's Zamora for five million they could not say no yeah to that, and this right? is an era probably where you're not where they maybe not prepared <laughs> as well in advance to be like mm-hmm. they're not gonna you know well, oh, it's, it's oh we have the data we know exactly how to replace this person yeah and especially a team like fulham who i doubt were in yeah. january starting the scouting for no they were having not, to have yeah. a 27 not, man roster they're not thinking they'd be in this position yeah it's kind of like when leicester won the league and then people are coming in for conte and mm. Mares and all their yeah. players and so they're having to sell and then buy new players. And we saw yeah. it the next year where they really struggled. And Ranieri had, was forced out because of that, because mm-hmm. they just didn't have the squad depth to compete on multiple fronts. Yeah. So Fulham addressed that by bringing in guys like Jonathan Greening from West Brom, Stefano Okaka. They got him on loan from Roma. They brought in <laughs> brought in a few other guys to fill out the roster. Bjorn Helga Reise, who was John Arno. Yeah. Sorry, Reza. John Arnariz's uh, brother, which yeah. will Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool legend, alum. that'll play in a little bit later too. Mm, we'll sure. get a fun fact out of that. Uh, but I think the two biggest ones were Stephen Kelly, mm-hmm. right back, and Damian Duff, mm-hmm. wide midfielder from Newcastle. Damian Duff will also star in our story today. Yes, Damian Duff was a huge signing for them. Uh, so Newcastle going down opened the door for that mm-hmm. big signing for them. Yeah. Well, Fulham started off in the Europa campaign again on the third qualifying round, which meant they get to they got to visit Lithuania and uh, Lithuanian league side Vetra, who I had not heard of before. I want to go to Lithuania. Yeah, sure. It looks nice. It looks like a nice place. Yeah. Well, Vetra, um, unfortunately, was not nice. No. uh, uh, What's the name of the Lithuanian team this year? Oh, um, shoot. I should know this. Oh, fucking dumbass. Started with an. They're green. Green? Yeah. God, this is embarrassing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, we should note that getting into the group stage is, you know, not assured. Absolutely not. The next year, Aston Villa were representing England in mm-hmm. the qualifiers. They got bounced by Rapid Vienna in the playoff round. Embarrassing. Um, in some other big like West Ham would go uh-huh. to Astra Georgiou from Romania mm. a few years later. And in 2018. Three clubs from big sides or from big countries, Atalanta, Burnley, and Braga, mm. all got knocked out before the group stage. Wow. So. Well, in this case, Fulham made it to the final qualifying round, beating Vetra 6 0 on aggregate between the two legs. They drew Russian club Amkar Perm, mm-hmm. which who I guess was good at the time, but you just don't hear about anymore. No. Russian um, leagues had a decent amount of turnover, surprisingly. Yeah. Like, or they used to. Yeah. Uh, I meant from the sure, time sure. To, to now. They uh, went up 3-0 at home. Um, saw them off 3-1. Goals from Andrew Johnson, also an arrival in 08. Clint Dempsey and Bobby Zamora. Then they held off a late rally in Russia. They basically, it was 0-0. They scored in like the 90th minute. Yeah. So it, it was pretty comfortable for most of it. 
but they did end up just sort of eking through. It was comfortable while they were on the pitch, but they I saw some of the interviews they gave and they were talking about like when they got off the bus and they were coming into the field that it uh, were was they on some so shit? different. Their fans were so intense, like, oh, wow. you know, dressed up as the Grim Reaper and all wearing masks and like looking like they were going to Jesus jump Christ. the Fulham team. And they Russian talked about fans. just like how crazy the fans were. Oh, yeah. It was good experience, I think, yeah. to help harden them a little bit yeah. for the group stage, which they landed in group E. Uh, they drew Roma, big mm-hmm. deal, Basel. And CSKA, Sofia, you know, we've just covered Basel this year and they sucked. But Basel used to be a more competitive yeah, European. This was a very competitive this Basel. This is a competitive Basel. Um, and, and CSKA, Sofia, I assume, were champions. Yeah, uh, they actually weren't champions. They weren't they champions not, that year? No, not the year before. They were still, I think, the best team uh-huh. in uh, Bulgaria. But, Bulgaria, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's a tough place to go play. It's a long way yeah. to go for English clubs. And it's just, it's a really tough yeah. environment. They have great fans. Yeah. So you'd say this was like a pretty difficult group. I, would, I don't yeah. think you'd say this was like, this wasn't the worst case scenario for them, but mm-hmm. it wasn't, it's no walk in the, they're, they're not no. in any way assured to go through. Some other groups that mm-hmm. were coming up around the time were like PSG, mm-hmm. Dortmund, and Sevilla was mm-hmm. a group the next year, right? So that would yeah. be worst case scenario. I feel like this is sometimes when you see like Celtic in like the, Europa mm-hmm. League and it's like they maybe they maybe they'll go through but we don't yeah obviously like right now they're a, in good form but yeah Basel's a good Celtic comparison I think yeah it's a similar quality of team where it's like they could make a Champions League group and do poorly mm-hmm. Europa League group or they, they would be really competitive yeah. yeah if they get the right draws um and then Fulham were really unfortunate they drew Basel's home game last so they would have to go mm-hmm. to Basel with potentially everything to play for yeah. and, and that's exactly what happened that's exactly what, gets what happened you. yeah uh, first game though they went up against Sofia and ended up with a draw, right? Yeah, yeah. Which you know, I think going to Sofia that's not a terrible result, but if you're Fulham and you want to get out of the group, you're like, oh crap, that's yeah. probably two drop points there. Yeah, right. That's Sofia. Are it doesn't that doesn't didn't bode well for qualification, especially because at that first match day, Basel also surprised Roma, mm-hmm. beating them two 0 Yeah, um, at home. Yeah, yeah and we'd... then Fulham went back home, got their win over Basel, and then. Got a 1-1 draw against a Roma team with guys like Daniel yeah. De Rossi, Totti, Perota, mm-hmm. Vucinic. But yeah. Got him right back into yeah. the mix there. I think um, one of the things, though, we forget about the Roma of this time is that their big stars were like Philip Mexes and Jeremy Menez, who mm-hmm. would be starting for the French team mm-hmm. by the end of 2010. And like, I feel like people kind of forget that they... You see those names on a team sheet and you're like, oh, that's not a good Roma team. Mm. Those guys were really, really big stars at the time. So this mm-hmm. is a great, so this is a good, this is a, good a draw, great result. And John Arn- Arnold Riza was on that Roma squad. So mm. got to play against his brother. Oh, I see. Fun. Well, yeah, after three match days, um, Basel, surprisingly, sat top of the table with six points. Mm-hmm. Roma and Fulham joined second with four. Sophia and last with one. Unfortunately, the next game is the return leg at Roma for Fulham, uh, which they lost. Basel beat Sofia, going five points clear of them and looking almost assured of qualification. Um, Fulham no longer had qualification in their hands at this point, and they needed help. Roma gave it to them, beating Basel in Rome 2-1. Fulham beat Sofia narrowly at home, it should be said, to put them on seven points. So basically, Roma on ten points, Basel on nine, Fulham on seven. The mission is simple. You got to go to Basel. You got to go to Switzerland. You got to pick up the three points. Otherwise, tournament yeah, is over. Yeah. Um, the conditions were tough, too. It was low 20s. It was snowing. That's in Fahrenheit, I should mention. Um, so negatives in Celsius. Negative five Celsius. Um, apparently, Hodgson had still was still refusing to play a first choice 11 
in the tournament <laughs> because uh, he was worried about the Premier League. It tells you something about, you know, different priorities from mm-hmm. like a team like Fulham in 2009 when, you know, league status is like such kind of, a worrying thing. Yeah. This is via the a Guardian article. Uh, Hongolin, Damian Duff, and Clint Dempsey started on the bench to ensure they're all fresh for Saturday's Premier League opponent with United. <laughs> it's like, it's like really you're playing like a, you're about to get knocked out of the, <laughs> of a thing you're almost never in. Yeah. But Zamora did come in clutch though. Not for the first time in this run. Uh, he scored a late first half double. Basel dragged one back from the spot. Uh, but then Hungarian Zoltan Gera, another key figure mm-hmm. in this in this run, restores a cool two goal advantage and Fulham just about eke out a three two win on the road. It wasn't easy. Basel had seventeen shots on target. I yeah. think. Yeah, this um, is where the Schwarzer thing Schwarzer really starts to shine here, and you start to work out who the these key players are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't already. Another fun tidbit about this game, that Basel side featured a young Jordan Shakiri subbed on in the second half. Another fun tidbit about the groups mm-hmm. and young players. Chris Smalling made his first start for Fulham mm-hmm. against in that first matchup with CHK Sophia. What age was he? 19. Wow. Yeah, he did not feature much in the no. Europa League campaign. He mm-hmm. was just kind of like getting his little baby shoes on. Baby shoes. And becoming a Premier League player. It's but... like one day I'll play for Jose. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah. he would end up playing at that Stadio Olimpico as a home stadium instead of losing on the road there. Hodgson said after the game, again, via Guardian, particularly pleased for the fans. Uh, I walked around Basel today and I was stopped by fans saying how much they are enjoying the adventure. I'm looking forward to the draw to see who we get and then we see how far we can go. I wouldn't mind playing Juventus. Dun, dun, dun. He did say this as Juve had just fallen down from the Champions League, finishing third in their group. Um... He, of course, couldn't have predicted that they would actually meet in the spring. Or could he? <laughs> um, have... But no, they didn't draw Juve right away, though. Well, before we go into that, their fans got really lucky with this group stage draw. Mm-hmm. Away days in Basel, Roma, and uh, Sofia. Like, those are three beautiful teams yeah, to go cold. visit. Well, yeah, it's but cold. the Winter city's Switzerland. gorgeous. It's by the lake. Yeah. And... Roma, yeah, Rome's Rome, and Sophia's an incredible looking city. Yeah, not like t- totally so far either. They didn't have to go yeah. to Kazakhstan. Or... No, yeah, and like you know, they went to Perm in the qualifiers, which I would not want to do. <laughs> no, uh, it's like way out there in the Doesn't wilderness fun, of Russia. Yeah. But you know, for the most part, they got really nice places to go visit. They did, yeah. they did. Um, but they didn't. Despite our foreshadowing, they did not draw draw Juventus right away. They drew Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Ukrainian uh, giants, it has to be said. Defending Europa League champions. Defending holders Shakhtar. of the cup. Yes. Which might sound crazy oh. now, even though they're, we've just seen good Shakhtar teams recently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that seems like that seems like now would be a would be a pretty pretty, pretty big crazy. shocker. Yeah. yeah. I think at the time it wasn't. I mean, I even before Those, the, the, uh, the USSR area teams were a lot better. Yeah. In that era, like Kiev won. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Kiev or was it? No, it was Zenit. Zenit yeah. won the Europa League, I think, yeah. in 08, the year before Shakhtar won it. Was it? Or right it was either 07 or 08. So I mean, it was like not an uncommon thing for no. for those uh for those sides to be winning. Yeah, I mean, they were really, really good at the time. They were knocking big teams from the big four countries out of mm. Europe all the time. Yeah, Zenit won Zenit in 08 yeah, and yeah, Shakhtar yeah. the next year. Yeah. Yeah, um, and CSK Moscow a couple years prior in 05. Yeah. And Dnipro would go to the final in 2015 as well. Wow, yeah. So, like, 
really strong teams Man, coming those, from that. The Russia League's block. really falling off, too. Yeah. And it was falling off before yeah. the ban and the it was. pandemic and everything. No, it was. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a new thing. The Ukrainian League, I think it's more of a Yeah, weirdly, were... even before even before the, the war and the Russian ban, like, Shakhtar was, you'd have to say, the most competitive of any of the mm-hmm. former black teams. Like, none of the Russian teams were competing at the level of yeah. Shakhtar. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> Let's circle back to 2010. Mm-hmm. Um when Fulham met Shakhtar in the round of 32. Yeah, and so the first leg was in London. They invited the Ukrainian, well, mostly Brazilians, but <laughs> theoretically the Ukrainians. As is tradition yeah. for Danette, for Shakhtar. Um, invited them to London, where there was a little bit of controversy before the oh, game. Oh, controversy. Stirred up emotions, and it actually was probably the most talked about first round game because of this, because Harrods, which is a luxury department store, Sure is. And is owned by Fulham's owner. I uh, cannot afford to go to Harrods. Well, you just would go in and go walk around. Oh, I don't do that in um, stores. I went to... Well, Harrods famous yet ago. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't actually. Yeah. I did go to Harrods. So, Shakhtar tried to go. It was Harrods-y. Yeah. And... uh what you do. Harrods' it's owner was track. also Fulham's chairman. Mm. And they refused entrance to Shakhtar. <laughs> and they it led to some accusations of, like, racism because Shakhtar have so many Brazilian players. Uh-huh. That but isn't isn't the Fools and the Fulham chairman a, a, a person, person of color? Of color? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not black. It's just right? it's a different type uh, okay. of person of it's color. It's sport, bad sportsmanship. But it, I think I don't think play. there was any intention of racism involved. Yeah. But obviously, I'd say I'd say that's fair play. I think that. that's good shithousery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it just led to. Uh, They'd get being, the same shit if they went yeah. into it's a different country, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it led to just some, some more talk anybody. about the game. Oh, you can't go to, oh, you can't get, like, Turkish Delight at Harrods. Well, Is that what they sell there? They just sell of, little lots Turkish, of Turkish Delight. Delight. Yeah, that's how you know it's British. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so that kind of just made the game something talked uh-huh. about. Like, it had more cameras and attention than mm-hmm. it probably normally would have, I think. I like attention. Yeah, everybody would have just assumed Shakhtar would brush Fulham aside at the time and move on to the next round, play whoever they play. And likely go deep in the tournament again, but that wasn't. I like really going the, deep too. The case this was a great Shakhtar team, mm. right? They had Douglas Costa was on that team, Fernandinho, William, good. Luis Adriano was like their star player. Obviously, he didn't have the best post Shakhtar time, but yeah, you know, great player for Shakhtar. Yeah, really good players. Yeah, Serna. That's a lot of resilience. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um, uh, this was a huge step up. For Fulham within the Europa League competition, obviously mm. they're playing teams like United and mm-hmm. Arsenal in the league. Um, it prompted Simon Davies to recall years later on said, "I've never played against a team who moved the ball around as quick as that. It was unbelievable. They played some incredible football, but a lot of it was in front of us because we were so organized. But wow, yeah, some players. Aaron Hughes added like right after the first leg. It was one of those games where you think, good early goal that'll get us into the game." Mm. And then we hardly touched the ball the rest of the first half. I remember coming in at halftime. Everyone's just looking at each other going, what have we just played against? It was like playing against Barcelona. Wow. It's interesting to hear, too, especially um, I've been reading Jonathan Wilson's Mm -hmm. Inverting the Pyramid. Yeah. And uh, there are lots of sections that I wasn't that familiar of about about how uh, Ukrainian football was sort of like co-pioneer of total football with the Dutch Mm -hmm. less known about. Yeah. Um, that they were also pioneers in pressing and and you know quick passing and uh, interchanging positions and all that. So yeah, that's interesting to hear. Yeah, I mean this. So Fulham had to be really clinical with their chances in this game, and they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grabbed obviously that early goal, and then after Shakhtar equalized, Fulham 
got another goal through Bobby Zamora, who just an absolute blast. It came out mm-hmm. of nothing. Uh, top right corner what player like, he was at that point in time. Oh yeah, really burned the net too. Like that's oh, how wow. quick that of a shot it the was. Game? Yeah, it's a whole stadium lit on fire. Craven Cottage doesn't exist anymore because of it. Um, and this was Craven Cottage looks like it could easily catch on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And this is in front of Fabio Capello, too, because Bobby Zamora is trying to earn an England call mm. around this time, like yeah. really pushing for it. And so Fabio Capello was watching all of these games. So mm. Zamora put on a show for him. Just to tease him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, Fulham go back with a pretty astounding lead. And they're like, OK, hey, if we hey. Can hey. keep the game hey. in front of us, you know, we they did. So Shakhtar scored an away goal, which was still a rule at the time. So mm. Fulham likely playing to try to get a draw. 2-1. Right. Yes, yeah, 2-1 yeah. final score in London. Fulham have to come out. They were like, we need a draw. A nil-nil would serve them really well. They're not Italians, so it's not a guarantee that yeah, they'll yeah, get yeah. that nil-nil. Of course. But it's not written in the stars in the no. same way. But in the second leg, the lead-up, Shakhtar said, hey, you guys did a little controversy with us. You guys messed with our heads. Love it. We're going to mess with yours. Because we couldn't get into Herod's. <laughs> we couldn't have our <laughs> cup of tea. Such a British way to get at somebody, too. <laughs> You guys are just like a bunch of like 20-year-old Brazilians like demanding that they be served tea. tea and I want to look at fancy clothes. <laughs> Shockers was a little more blunt with how they were messing with Fulham's heads. They published Fulham's travel itinerary on the website. <laughs> That's gotta be like not allowed per rule UEFA rules. I think or they did get reprimanded yeah, for it, but I don't sure think anything would. real came out of it. <laughs> but yeah, so obviously Shockter fans were showing up everywhere, yeah. pestering. <laughs> the Londoners throughout their stay in Ukraine, distracting from the game. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Now it's pretty easy to find like the hotels teams are yeah. staying at, but it was a lot harder back Probably then. Probably have better security now. To yeah. Be <laughs> Probably um, a little more deterrent. Yeah. I love fans that will just like stand outside hotel windows and just like sing the entire night to keep yeah. players away. Oh, I like the fireworks. That's fair play to me, dude. Like, yeah. That's fair play. Imagine how committed to a team as a I, fan you uh, have to be to say, but it's yeah, nice to feel like you participated. Yeah, you, know? you made a difference. Yeah. We have a really important game the next day. We should stay up all night and yeah. shoot fireworks at a hotel. <laughs> I'm doing my part. Uh, the second leg went really similarly to the first. Jack mm-hmm. Dar controlled the territory. They controlled possession. Balls constantly by Fulham's goal, right? Just constantly right outside the box. But Fulham were pinned back. Shock Dar zipping passes around. But once again, Fulham snatched a goal. Mm-hmm. And you know, they ended up seeing the result Critical through. Critical away goal. Yeah. Saw the result through. What was the final score? 1-1. 1-1. They did get the draw. Hongoland yeah. would remark later on, it's almost a robbery. <laughs> they <laughs> dominated the game completely again, maybe even more than at the cottage. That's funny because that sounds like a quote from the losing team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was the winners. <laughs> yeah. The winners fully admitted. The winners were like, we should not have won that game. They would talk about this being like, yeah, this was the best team they played in the yeah. run, right? We obviously mm-hmm. highlight Juventus, and mm-hmm. everybody nowadays is going to look back at like beating Atletico Madrid mm-hmm. with or losing to Atletico Madrid, sorry, yeah. with Aguero and Forlan. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, those two teams, they had to be the best. No, they were like Shakhtar, yeah, was the best team. And that they actually played. checks. I mean, like, Fulham, this is the only game where they're like thoroughly outplayed too in two legs, like. They give a pretty good account of themselves in just about every tie. Mm-hmm. And you could make a case for them deserving to go through, I think, in every tie except for this one. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, credit to Shakhtar. Sorry you lost. Yeah. And when they do get outplayed in the other game or the, in the other matchups, it's mm-hmm. for one of the games. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then they bounce back with a really good second game. Mm-hmm. It's usually the second game. 
and get the result and it's like okay they may have stole it because they got so outplayed in the first leg but then they yeah. so outplayed him in the second leg so it mm. evens out this one they were just outplayed yeah. twice but went through and i think for roy Hod- roy hodgson this should kind of be like his quillen and diamond in his crown jewels right mm. like his the, crown jewels the, <laughs> yeah it takes on such a new right, beat after the prince harry see. audiobook who knows um, what i don't want to see roy hodgson's crown jewels that's for sure uh but, <laughs> but they're super saggy <laughs> uh but anyway this is like you know his shiny moment as a manager i think one shining moment the full and back line was just so well drilled mm-hmm. and despite Shakhtar having way more talent just persistently having the ball and pushing for the goal no one on full made a mistake mm-hmm. like the entire time that back line and offensively too they barely needed the ball because their communication and understanding with each other was so good they were so well drilled uh bobby zamora would go on to say genuinely when we had the ball i could have played left back for that team (laughs) classic we had very good players but the back four were just so drilled and so organized i mean they all knew where to be whenever whoever had the ball they knew exactly where they were supposed to be and where every other player on the field would be and when the ball would find its way to douglas costa they knew okay douglas costa has the ball in that spot i need to be right here at this moment to prevent this pass it's pretty good for uh for a rainy night and rainy thursday night in kiev yeah in donetsk were they were still in donetsk i think they were right were they i mean maybe i don't know when they moved actually i guess it was was pre-invasion of Crimea. so i guess you're right um no matter um they advanced to the round of 16 against all odds but you know it's been a nice time they're really enjoying themselves the fans are having a great experience who even knows the last time they're in Europe? Nobody can know. It might something we could have looked up, but didn't. Uh, they'd been one um, other time for the UEFA Intertoto Cup, which they won, and so they oh, got to go yeah. to the UEFA Cup. But then again, they were knocked out in the uh, yeah, third round. Third round of qualifying. So, yeah. So yeah, so this is all new experiences for them. Um, they're along for the ride. Maybe they draw a big club and go out with a bang. And then, all Roy Hodgson jokes aside, they drew Juventus. <laughs> um, the you know one of the biggest clubs in europe one of the biggest clubs in italy countless titles star players not that many champions uh, titles though no not that many <laughs> so they drew juve they flew to turin for the first leg hoping to keep it tight but they conceded early the like 20 people that showed up juve fans that showed up <laughs> yeah. cheered it up cheered them on because it looked like a cold miserable night and uh, this is not exactly like uh, uh, high level for <laughs> UVA yeah. fans to experience. They're like they're... playing. You're playing who on a Thursday? Yeah, their um, lack of excitement very understandable. Very understandable. One, like you said, kind of a gross night. Yeah. Two, you're playing Fulham. You're like, we are gonna kick their butt, right? Yeah. Who are these guys? They're mid table team. Uh-huh. Like that's we can't lose to them. They were also though like Juventus fans were probably not very happy with the team as a whole. They were in the middle of a very disappointing season. They mm-hmm. would finish seventh. In Syria, they've been really unceremoniously dumped out of the Champions League, despite being undefeated and on top of the group after four games. They lost their last two to Bordeaux and then got embarrassed by Bayern Munich at home Yeesh. in the decisive game. Uh, so they were sent down to the Europa League. They did manage to defeat a really fun and strong Ajax team in the round of 16. That was the Luis Suarez. Round of 32. Round of 32. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that was the Luis Suarez ix team so mm-hmm. like you know that was kind of fun um then we do sometimes love louis suarez yeah occasionally only like when louis. he's on ix only I... when he's on ix yeah i liked him on liverpool too i did i really don't like liverpool because it's mostly because of 2005 okay yeah um 
And then there was a lot of talk about this game because Italian newspapers really loved Roy Hodgson at the time since he mm-hmm. managed Inter and done pretty well in his time in Italy there. Mm. Uh, so, like, there was a lot of Italian newspapers there. There were mm. probably more journalists than fans at the game. Yeah, I, I would believe that based yeah. on the scenes of the, based on the highlights. But even without fans, I think going to a stadium like that was kind of intimidating for Fulham because, I mean, outside of Old Trafford and uh, the Arsenal Stadium, I mean, they're yeah, really, like, Anfield. That, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, I said the Arsenal Stadium. Because outside of that, it's like... It's not an Arsenal. Anfield? The Emirates. Oh, you're right. Anfield's Liverpool. Sorry, I had them switched in my mind. Yeah. Um, But, like, this is a stadium that's hosted trophy celebrations, World Cup games. It could fit up to 75,000 people. Sure. They're not used right to... Uh, they're not used to international, big... Yeah, like, this is grand a big, international stadium. Yeah, the Olympico is a cool stadium. It's big, but it doesn't have, like, the mystique that the Stade Deli Alpi did at the time. Was this its, um, like, last year or something? No, it's, it was done... Uh, in 2014, 2014 or something like that yeah. um and sarah brooks who was the head of communication international history too yeah. yeah she was talking to roy lewinton who was one of the assistant coaches for the game and he turned to her and said a bit special for little old fulham isn't it sarah well it's about it's, to get more because well not in this tie despite uh, <laughs> not in this game despite going down one nil it was two <laughs> after yeah. 25 minutes zabina of all people slalomed through a series of Fulham defenders, fired past Schwarzer from 20-plus yards out. Fulham did score in this tie. They answered back in the 36th with, like, a terrible English goal from a two-who. Sort of, like, lumped the ball into the box from a deep free kick. The ball bounces around. Massively deflected a two-who shot, like, trickles in. Undeserved. But Juve are up two again by halftime after a second goal from a corner, which is supposed to be Fulham's thing, so that's kind of embarrassing. Uh, it finishes a comfortable 3-1 for Juve, but um it could have been worse and Fulham have basically given themselves a chance a lifeline with a crucial away goal yeah I mean they themselves called it a lifeline mm-hmm. right they use that exact terminology when talking about the game later on mm-hmm. and you know some of them were like no one would have said it but deep down yeah. this was an impossible task yeah I mean Juventus are the epitome of the nil-nil <laughs> yeah, right like yeah. They're the epitome yeah. of that Italian Catenaccio. Like, yeah. all right, we are winning one nothing. You're not scoring. Mm. It's going to be a nil-nil. We're yeah. just going to hold the ball the rest of the game. But that was not just any Juve. And this is not any Fulham. And so we t- return to Craven Cottage for the second leg. It's the 18th of March, 2010. Let's meet our let's meet our lineups, David. Yes. Fulham start in their customary 4-4-2, although it should be said... As the first half went on, it became more of a 4-1-4-1. Some would even say a 4-2-3-1. You mean 4-4-1-1. Yes, sorry. Yes, sir. 4-4-1-1. Some would even say a 4-2-3-1 because of something we'll get to. Yeah. Schwarz are in goal. Our captain, Aaron Hughes in the back alongside Hongeland. Stephen Kelly at right back, the recent arrival. Mm-hmm. Paul Kachensky, left back. Atuhu and Chris Baird formed the double pivot. Simon Davies is on the right wing. Damian Duff on the left, although at some point they might have switched. Uh, Bobby Zamora and Guerra up top. Notable yeah. subs include Chris Smalling, Risa, and our boy Clint. Mm-hmm. Um, the latter of two who uh, who made substitute appearances. Yeah. Um, the four four one one switch to felt really natural when they did it, just by having guys like yeah. Zamora and Guerra. It mm-hmm. feels to it just fits how they mm-hmm. play. We'll, we'll get to box. why that was tactically important yeah. later. Uh, Juve meanwhile line up in. Sort of a classic four three three or four three two one, very the very Italian. I think it was more of a four three two one in this scenario, just yep. based on the position of Diego and Condreva. But right. I mean, you could call four three two one a four three three anyway. So, so uh, 
Antonio Kimenti in goal, 39-year-old, looked way older than that. Yeah, their backup, <laughs> um, Buffon's backup. Buffon was not even registered for the Europa League. Mm. So, like, wow. they had no intentions yeah. of playing him. This is yeah. cup goalie. Mm-hmm. Kimenti had been good, but he's 39 now. Um, and he yeah, was okay he said, he looked like... He looks like ancient, dude. Yeah, he looks like he's in his 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh. Zabina and Fabio Cannavaro in the back. Uh, That's a... Should Sounds be like a great line. pairing. Kind yeah. of you know, captain to the lead of the World Cup, went title, right? Yeah. Uh, Hassan uh, Salamidic at right back. Fabio Gross at left back. This is also kind of interesting because it says that they're going to do Catanaccio, right? Grosso and Salihamidic, not super attacking players. Like, they'll stick back. There's going to be a flat back four. Felipe Mello in the defensive midfielder sort of sweeper mm-hmm. position. Mohamed Sissoko. And Mauro Camaronesi um, are ahead of him. And then uh, in the two behind the striker, we have Diego and Antonio Candreva. Uh, the striker is, was captain David Trezeguet. This is another interesting pairing behind a striker because Diego, as I think we'll talk about more during the match, he is a 10 kind of free roaming 10 type of wannabe caca type player, right? Or Messi. Yeah. And Candreva is a winger. Yeah, Kondreva wants to be out uh-huh. out wide. And I know this is younger Kondreva before mm-hmm. he got like kind of pushed just to that position, but he still naturally moves out there. So it's a weirdy, it's like a weirdly shifted back like two behind the striker. Sure, some uh, pretty average substitutes. Alessandro Del Piero. Yeah, who's he? <laughs> Paolo De Peglier, Christian Poulsen. Mm-hmm. Um, they were coached by Alberto Zaccaroni, who is not a guy I was really familiar with. Um, yeah. nor does it seem I should be because <laughs> he didn't well he, he had, had moments a, yeah he had a great time in like the 90s mm-hmm. but by this time I mean, he won a Copa, or a Serie A with Milan he coached pretty good Lazio that year where they had broken all the transfer records and then mm-hmm. didn't do very well mm-hmm. um he coached Inter and then this Juventus team was after a three-year retirement mm-hmm. and he came back and it did not didn't go great. Didn't go great. Didn't go great. No, yeah, he just got he, the second half of the season. It's weird. He did too. sort of his legacy to me has sort of faded into. Mm-hmm. In, I think it's which is weird, but I think it's faded everywhere because he didn't stick anywhere yeah, long enough. It's to hard to remember him as to build something. Yeah, yeah. Like everywhere was short spells. It was I think the most was three years at Unese, mm-hmm. and he got to man. He's got to be the only person to manage Milan, Inter, and Juve. <laughs> yeah, like I can't true. imagine someone else has done that. It's just like eating your own tail in Italy. Everyone yeah. just manages each other. But he didn't do great with any of them. Like no. he won Serie A with Milan, but that team was way better than everyone else that year. Hmm. So like I don't know, not a not an inspiring manager. Well, let's see how they did in the match. Yeah, not well. Let's see how we managed in the match. Not well. Not well. Um. So contrasting the first leg where there was no Betty, yeah. Kevin Cottage is packed. It's rocking. It's one of the biggest like. Mm-hmm. fixtures in their history they're not used to such an occasion also one of the nicer things with like the slightly smaller stadiums craven uh-huh. cottage only fits like twenty five thousand, maybe yeah. 27 very old school mm-hmm. historic looking ground yeah so when you get the big games people are packed in there mm-hmm. everybody wants to be there and is super excited about the game versus like mm-hmm. you know juventus stadium is massive so when they only have twenty thousand, they don't people show up, up it's it not really fun, yeah. feels it but uh it gets worse for fulham though because mm-hmm. juve score almost immediately uh, Trezeguet in the second minute cancels out Fulham's away girl, and now a tall task looks almost impossible. Um, and for the first few minutes, that gap in quality is pretty obvious. Uh, Juve's midfield is completely outclassing the home side. They're kind of combining all over the pitch, cute little one-touch passes and quick exchanges. Um, Fulham are being obviously overrun in the midfield in the first few minutes. 
Gera soon drops a little deeper to cope, hence the 4 4 1 1, to sort of balance the numerical advantage. In the ninth minute, sort of against the run of play, Fulham kind of get a lifeline. At through. the time, definitely against yeah. the run of play. Overall game, not yeah. against the run of play. Well, we should point that out. Yeah, in the ninth minute, it's about time, the yeah. run of play. Zamora scores it again. It's it's kind of a glaring error from Canavaro. Mm-hmm. A ball comes into the box um, from the left flank. Canavaro is really easily nudged out of position by Zamora, yeah. who takes it down his chest and finishes pretty nicely. But it's it's strange. It's like Canavaro like, misjudges the ball mm-hmm. and then sort of like gets flops the... down, hoping for a yeah. foul. It doesn't be called look like it's not that much dive, contact. but he just goes down so weakly. Like yeah. I know Zamora is strong and Canavaro, yeah, especially never, for like... 13 years ago, they're probably they're never going to call that. Yeah, now they might bar it, but there wasn't actually that much contact there. No, like weird. He just kind of gets like a little, yeah. little bit pushed off. Don't know away. what he's doing. And I know Canavaro's never been like the strongest person, right? Especially mm. for a center back, and Zamora is a big, big strong boy. striker, a big strapping lad. But like, come on, <laughs> it was it's so really bad. It was him. so bad. And anyway, it's a classic English striker goal from Zamora. Physical, dominating yeah. the box. 1-1 on the night, 4-2 on aggregate. This point, Fulham really starts to come to life. They start looking really dangerous on the wings. Duff is especially up for this one. Mm-hmm. Carrying the ball a bunch. Uh, looking light of foot. There's a, They're also giving Juve trouble with the long ball. Particularly the ball like out of the defensive line into Zamora. Um, who... Seems to be holding up play really well. He's winning a lot of the taking those down on the chest, holding possession. Um, Fulham starts seeing more of the ball as a result. We also noticed at this point, um, we noticed how insanely physical players were being in the box during like corners and set pieces. It's all hands, tits, and ass, man. It's like they're grabbing, 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 grabbing. No consent. It's pretty ridiculous. Even even for that, the standards of the time. If you can go back and find the American broadcast from ESPN, Craig Burley's on it. He's so mad about it. So mad. So mad about it. This is Craig Burley, the man who's like, I'd leave leave a little bit on some players. He's totally okay with you coming through (laughs) kicking a player, but man, you hold somebody in the box on a corner. Yeah. But I think that they're, shows that it was a like, bit over the top. They're the absolutely just like tackling each other. It's crazy. Yeah, the and ref the really didn't, didn't step that. in. No. Didn't give a shit. Um, another thing you seem to be struggling with are balls in from the left flank uh, towards Zamora on the opposite post. Mm-hmm. Like he makes that sort of like uh, behind the far the far defender yeah. towards that far post. And that ball is on. Like, and he his runs are sort of uh, tormenting the the back too. Yeah, and it was it's Duff's passes that were setting them up. Um, uh-huh. But I think this is a good time to talk about Juventus's tactical failures before the big match-changing moment, mm-hmm. right? The ones, uh, and it's just the way they're set up. They chose a slower, older, kind of weaker back line to go against the more. And I think the speed is one thing, right? You don't need a ton of quick defenders when you're going against this Fulham team. Uh-huh. But you got to get somebody a little more physical than Zabina and Conor in hindsight. Sure. Right. Yeah. I think Zaccaroni's probably looking and saying, well, it's Cannavaro and Zabina. They should be able to mark mm-hmm. Zamora, whoever the heck that is, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that really stood out to me is that they're so packed centrally in the midfield. Like, Felipe Mel is never going to leave from Sammy right in front of the two center backs. Yeah. He's going to be there all game. He's not going to pass super well. He's just going to defend. Uh, but, you know, Fulham are playing on the wings. And mm-hmm. Mohamed Sissoko is not going to go in wide. Yeah. It's just not a natural part of his game. Camaronese, I thought, was actually pretty good at getting out wide and defending, getting in tackles, some of which... Metzala. 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> more of a uh, Carrillo. Carrillo. If we're going, yeah, if we're going football manager uh-huh. terms. Um, but like, if it's just him, and that's where they were able to exploit the left because Carmona is it was on the other side, yeah. right? So Duff has all this space, all this time, and Kelly also has space and time because no one's coming to cover him. So Fulham could just move the ball down the wings when they wanted yeah. to. And it could also go long because Cannavaro and Zabino just weren't strong enough they to compete with some more with the in the air. Up. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot more to say about Zach Bruni's like lack of adjustments in this game, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. But um, just from an initial yeah. standpoint, I think right. I wanted to get that yeah, yeah, yeah. before I agree. Yeah. The big match defining moment in the 26th minute. Yeah. Which was Cannavaro Our gets boy. a little straight red for it's sent off dragging gear down, which I guess was the speed thing coming yeah. into play, too. It was. So but... Zamora fed a through ball into Guerra in the, in the center of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in behind, he was running into the box, he would have been on goal. Um, but Cannavaro is determined to have interfered Kira's progress. We both feel on first glance that this looks a little harsh because it's not totally positive that he's the last man. Yeah. Um, but you can see why it's given, um, especially live since they don't have the benefit of VAR. Yeah. You can see why you can see why it would look like it. Um, and it's not and it's harsh, but it's not like yeah. it's also on Cannavaro. because what's oh, clear is that he gets turned really easily he sort of tracks gear a few meters like off the defensive line the base mm-hmm. of the line but he doesn't have the pace when Gira like cuts back on him and heads back towards goal and is fed through so i mean it's like really naive it's ter- bad positioning it's another shocker from the legend yeah i mean it's this is shocker. one of gotta be one of his de- worst ever performances yeah it's one of the best defenders of the air right what a 20 what an awful 26 minutes yeah <laughs> it's bad as be it gets. the worst 26 minutes he has ever played it's like if harry Maguire had played those 26 minutes he'd be banned from england he would be removed citizenship you and i both know that harry Maguire will never be banned from england let alone the english national team yeah harry Maguire could have gotten three red cards in that yeah. 26 minutes and they still would call him up but like imagine the abuse he would take for that 27 that's oh, how bad yeah. we're talking yeah. about this here. was really those atrocious. two very high profile mistakes yeah and on the Last man, it's Grosso's off to the. He's playing left back, mm-hmm. so he's off to the side there, and he's probably even with yeah. Gira. But you know, it's like 50 50, it's maybe not even 50 50. Like, mm-hmm. Gira is almost definitely going to be through on goal, but there's yeah. maybe a 20% chance that Grosso could get there. Uh-huh. So, live, I think it's a very reasonable call, yeah, right, to say he's the last man. Nowadays, I don't think it would hold up through VAR, mm-hmm. but I think I could still see a referee making that initial red decision, going with the red card first and then going to look at it. So, red controversial decision yeah harsh but also not like out of the world not outrageous no and i mean it's hard to see even though fulham had a really good spell Mm -hmm. post their first goal it's hard to see them overcoming the deficit necessarily Mm -hmm. um and you think juve could still be good for stealing a second goal yeah but now down to 10 men with 65 minutes to play they do still have their two goal advantage and the juventus they can defend yeah Wrong, wrong, wrong. So Juve brings in a Gregera defender. It's a Hungarian, right? Oh, maybe. He, so that would be two Hungarians. Yeah, wow. Kind of crazy. They hook Kendreva in the midfield um, to replace this, you know, like for like yeah. the center back. I suppose that made it more of like a 4 3 1 1 or something, you know? Yeah. With maybe Melo like still a, like a yeah, 4 like 1 a, 2 1 1. <laughs> yeah. Would be probably four, the three, most two. Like, accurate way, but yeah, because Diego was in sort of a natural tent. But anyway. Yeah. Fulham pushed for a second. Old man Kimenti, who again was 39, he makes but a big again, save from a Zamora so free kick. Older. It's quite a good save, actually. The ball is heading in, but he's well positioned to tip it over with his left hand. Meanwhile, Camaranese seems to be begging 
to me for a second yellow. <laughs> He's flying into tackles yeah. already on a yellow. He looks like he wants to get sent off, <laughs> even though he does make a couple of tackles, like actually get it. His foot yeah. on the ball—it's oh, like so risky. He's so reckless. It's really on the ledge yeah. there, and they could have been down to nine before the first half. Yeah. In all honesty, it's very easily. Cameron is a, you know, like, yeah. I think he just wanted to make up for the red card and was like, "I got to do do everything." And you know, he's the only player that's even engaging on the wings at all. Yeah, right. The thing so, is, but he does give up a free kick mm-hmm. on the wing, leads to the resulting free free kick flies off the edge of the the, the where the bar and post meet. Mm-hmm. Eventually is cleared for a corner, and then that next corner uh finds a two who's head from six yards out, and he should put it on frame, may probably yeah. score, and he puts it wide. Um, but yeah, both of these uh both of these come from Simon Davies. Um, and then again we see Simon Davies um his quality in in distribution and assists um come to fruition here after a lovely move. Zamora chips the ball over for Davies. Um he has the pace to reach it on the touchline. Cuts back for Gira. 2-1. 2-1 before halftime. 3-4 on aggregate. Um, Juve were really playing with fire. And, uh, yeah, again, shout out to Davies, who who had that, like, four minutes of, like, brilliance there. Yeah. Um, yeah everything that was created the there was from Davies. Yeah. And I, and I just wanted to point out that this goal is, like, a nice counterpoint to um, maybe an argument that foot that Fulham is just like classic old school mm-hmm. English lump it up. Um, it's actually quite a nice uh, modern little movement from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to give them a little praise for scoring a modern goal. Yeah. And they definitely and not had just like a big meaty header. They definitely had enough technical ability yeah. to compete with these teams. I mean, yeah. there were times where we would see you. Talented. That's what, that's what I, part of what I'm surprised about rewatching this is how mm-hmm. like, much talent. talent they actually had. Yeah. I mean, and there were times, like, I think when they did technical stuff, it wasn't as obvious and in your face uh-huh. as, like, you know, when Shakhtar is dipping those passes or when Juventus would mm-hmm. have their spells with one-touch passes that are just constantly yeah. moving forward and then Diego gets the ball and does something stupid. Yeah. Um, But, like... Fulham's kind of a mix. It's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a mix of that classic 4 for 2 and, and, mm-hmm. and the target man philosophy with also mixing in some... a little more, like, combination. Yeah. Um... Yeah, definitely. They had the technical ability to pull these combinations off against great defenders and like mm-hmm. you know, throughout the tournament. So I think that we got to yeah. acknowledge that it wasn't just a case of them like out toughing Juve in the box. You know? Yeah. Um. So the whistle blows for halftime. Fulham are only one goal from leveling the tie. They're full of life and hope. The second half begins mm-hmm. and we'd like to take stock of Juve's play here. I think this is a good time to do it. So they're mm-hmm. down to 10 after the red. Um. And even at times before they've looked completely out of it and disorganized. Um, after winning the ball back, my interpretation of their play was that they it shows some moments of quality still. Mm-hmm. Um, back with their one touch exchanges, working up the pitch, but without uh, you know the full roster players on the pitch to to create up front, the ball just sort of ends up back with Fulham eventually. They give the ball away, mm-hmm. looking to force a progressive pass. Yeah. Um, instead of just sort of retaining possession a little bit, like it, I'm not usually in favor of teams you know with leads especially playing super negative that usually comes back to bite you mm-hmm. but in this moment the momentum was swung so far against them that they really felt like they needed to take a little bit of air out of the ball yeah especially an italian team of this era i know and juventus of all italian teams. i know but also it's control of the pace you it, know what i mean we're not even ta- saying they needed to play negative it's no, that they were themselves. trying to force it forward mm-hmm. at times and it's just 
you know, you can see when the it's not there. And Roy Hodgson's Fulham's back line was just so well drilled. Yeah. Like they're not getting drawn out of position by these one touch passes. Mm-hmm. So you need to reset. You need to find something different. Recycle. Yeah. yeah. Circle the ball back around. Like mm-hmm. they don't. And I, the biggest, the biggest, uh, what's the word? Offender <laughs> was Diego. Yeah. I really hated Diego in this game. <laughs> he really did. He would get the ball in, in all these positions, like, and just give it away immediately. Like he was very frustrating. He likes to drop deep and pop up all over, like we said. He thinks he's like messy or something. Yeah. But like he's playing in the style of a world class number ten, but without the decision making yeah. to like justify it. I and think he's he supposed actually, to be their creativity, their dribbler. Like right, like everyone else, it's but, one but your touch role changes at this point when yeah. when you're no longer trying to be the driving force in a game and you're trying to, uh, you know, reorganize and re re regain control yeah. of the match. And what you need from him. Is something actually like messy and some of those best all time like center of the pitch creators do. You know, you could talk about the Barcelona trio of midfielders. Yeah. Like, they control the pace of the game. Like yeah. if, if they're in need of settling the game, they can settle the game. Especially when after the red card, you lose your outlet, which was Condreva. Right. Right. Condreva was the default outlet. Get to him. Nothing else is working. He'll just right. whip across in. And you hope that, um, in this case, Trezeguet, who's a great finisher mm-hmm. up top, especially on lofted balls. Right. You just hope, okay, something happens there, right? Yeah. You've got to pick your spots. you got to yeah. pick your when spots. When you lose that, you have to know when to cycle the ball back. Yeah. And no one else was doing it, but Diego, I think. Cost because... a lot of possession. Yeah, yeah, it made them constantly under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... we say under pressure, but they're leaving their back line yeah. just flat-footed, too. Yeah. Right? And Melo's not going to push forward. Yeah. But... I think leaving Diego in was a mistake here. Mm-hmm. also because yeah. the, because of what all everything i just said yeah. we also mentioned earlier that fulham had a huge advantage on the wings that remained the case obviously like from the start like you said with the 4-4-2 versus like a more narrow 4-3-2-1 you'll probably have some joy out there um while the you know Juve would probably have some joy in the midfield but with 10 men and gara already dropping deeper they also lost the numerical advantage in the midfield mm-hmm. so basically they could just defend deep with fullbacks and wide midfielders stepping out to deal with the wing threats but that wasn't very effective no. like Fulham got all sorts of dangerous balls in the box the whole game mm-hmm. and I think there's another place play time where Zachary only really fucked up because uh he seemed really dogged in the formation yep. even go after going down to 10 men refusing to make adjustments surely have to try to do something like yeah. especially at halftime they had just I... scored their second goal yeah and and you know, after the, and he waits until after the equalizer to do anything. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of too late. You yeah. know what I mean? I wonder if after the red card, if the correct move was to take Diego or Mello out. Because Mello uh-huh. did, I mean, in hindsight, it's easy to look back. I understand leaving Mello in, but he did nothing to prevent any holdup play. Right. No. And Fulham were already coming through the wings. So drag Condreva back, push Camarones it wide, play mm-hmm. with a 4 4 1. Yeah. Right. Like, I feel like you had to do something different. Maybe take Diego out and again drag Condreva back, right? Like, yeah. So after after this leveler that we're about to get to, he brings in. After that, mm-hmm. he brings in an additional defender for Camarones. Yeah, but only that's only after the blowing lead. So if you're gonna do that in the fifty first, after you're put like, why not do that at halftime? Like, yeah, that makes and, no sense to me. And this is another thing we'll get to. They did settle the game for down for a while after that. Fulham had fewer chances for the yeah. next twenty five. So the formation minutes. change worked yeah but you waited too long to do it yeah 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 i would say yeah i think going to the back three was probably the right move earlier yeah especially with when you know wide fullbacks or wingbacks yeah they would act could actually deal with some of the problems up there 
But anyway, so let's get to the equalizer. Yeah. Juve basically concede a penalty in the first few minutes of the first half because mm-hmm. a cross hit Diego's hand in the box that was flailing around. The um Craig Burley weirdly thought this was harsh. I didn't I think this is just the penalty. Like Yeah, I understand. I think our it could have been deemed incidental contact, but the hand is way up there. Yeah. It's like I mean, all the it, way I think our interpretation by, almost by his of modern handball rules are a lot stricter than they were at the time too. Yeah. Right, so this is like his hands going up, but it's with the natural running motion. Yeah, but it gets him. really high. <laughs> it gets yeah. really high, and the ball is rocked at his hand. I have no I problem with this. Modern day is one hundred percent penalty. Yeah, like I think the I ball think should be no question about it. I think this I think that's fair. I think that's why they updated the rules and they've been mm-hmm. harsh on it because it yeah. should be a penalty. Like you should know they're that too hands. harsh on it now. Obviously, yeah. But in this case, like I yeah. think it's pretty obvious. Like his hand is so far away from his body that I think yeah. it's hard to justify I think not being called at the time. It's harsh but again yeah. it's like not it's not a crazy yeah. call it's you gotta just do like it. a little bit you gotta do it harsh juventus are probably like oh God, are you like yeah. like so gira converts from the spot mm-hmm. in the 48th and the ties level now as we mentioned zaccaroni brings on uh an extra defender and it did settle the game for a while they managed to cycle the host for the next 30 minutes but this is the other thing about this there were some chances but yeah if you're going to settle the game and bring on an extra defender why are you waiting till it's till you're tied? I know. Now he's just like, well, let's take it to extra time, I guess. It's such decision Yeah, oh, especially God. after they suffered so much in the last 20 minutes of the first half. Yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know what he thought was going to happen in the second half that was going to be different from the first. But so, but soon after that, um, Clint Dempsey comes on, 71st minute. Our guy. Do you know where Clint Dempsey's from? You don't know where I'm Texas, from, dog. Texas, dog. Uh, so he brings on Dempsey for Kelly, the right back. So an attacking move from Roy. Mm-hmm. Um, and soon after that, Clint gets ahead uh, on the ball. Tess, Kementi, Kementi saves. Then Gira has a go from distance and forces another decent save from the keeper. And finally, the moment comes. 82nd minute. God bless America. USA. The Clint, you don't know where I'm from, dog Dempsey, picks up the ball right outside the right corner of the box. He looks up at his options. He sort of notices the keeper's positioning. Then... You know what? He unleashes perhaps the greatest technical feat of his career, David. It's an audacious, it's a bold, it's a cocky chip. The ball flies over Kimenti's head. He watches helplessly as it nestles in the side netting of the top corner yeah, of his goal. It's an absolute stunner. It's the perfect goal to win the perfect tie for Fulham Football Club. Instant American and Fulham legend. Yeah. Hodgson can't even believe it on the touchline. He's like, whoa, whoa. It's the final, the final bit of uh business sees a series of cards finally a red for zabina after he literally kicks damien duff in the back of the legs yeah that was um, that's not harsh no <laughs> that was you they finished the game with nine fulham win on the day four one five four on aggregate i'm pretty sure the zabina red card was also a second yellow uh was like, it? he just yeah clearly just kicks him in the back just, of the legs the, like, ball's, swing at the ball's gone out of play mm-hmm. and like they kind of shove a little bit and yeah. he just kicks him in the back of the leg and it's just a yellow card yeah. i was like i was impressed that that was only a yellow card. That's the end. Fulham have done it. Yeah, Fulham did it. They did it. It was in a crazy comeback. I mean, the crowd that Craven Cottage goes into after Clint's goal, mm-hmm. it's incredible. I mean, yeah. the players... The fervor will only get yeah. deeper, too, the further they go in the tournament. And I think it's important to note, like, after Fulham took the lead, Juventus still didn't really create much. Mm-hmm. Like, they were so exhausted from having to defend these guys for so yeah. long and playing down with 10, just... Fulham's energy throughout the game. Yeah. Juventus were gone. Like their yeah. legs were not in it and they 
basically folded. They, they of course, it it's the hardest that. chance of the game that they ended up converting. You know, maybe it goes to probably goes could go to extra time mm-hmm. if uh, Dempsey doesn't score in that moment. There's only 10, 15 minutes left. Yeah. Um. So yeah, one of his def- career defining moments, mm-hmm. big moment for like I think respect for American footballers in the in yeah. England too. I mean, because there'd been. Fulham was all has always been a friendly to Americans club. You know, Brian McBride yes. was their captain just a couple of years before the legend before he went back to MLS. So, you know, so other than goalkeepers, though, we'd we'd be nowhere as Americans without Fulham. Yeah. And I mean, this also <clears throat> led up into the 2010 World Cup when we mm-hmm. finished above England in our groups and group winners, baby. Yeah, generally it was Dempsey like, scored against England that Rob did. Green. That yeah, Rob that Green was won. definitely all Dempsey and not Rob. It was all Dempsey. All, all Dempsey. He made Rob Green miss that ball. He did. Um, but yep. I think, you know, Dempsey's play here and then the 2010 World Cup, it definitely helps solidify America's like a yeah. not atrocious. Yeah, that we could actually country. that we could actually perform at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to run through the uh, quarter semis in the final, finish up this run. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the game we wanted to spend the most time on. Yeah. Um, but I we mean, are just going to run through sort of the beat, the bullet points, the, yeah. beat, the important beats and storylines of I the rest of the rounds. That Juventus game, it kind of stands as like the image of what mm-hmm. Fulham did. And it was comebacks yep. and be just so well drilled defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of encapsulates what the run was about. Yeah, and it's absolutely. also, you know, at the time Juventus are easily like the most famous club in the competition. Yeah, I think. Um, so being able to defeat that, maybe Liverpool might be. Mm-hmm. As big Liverpool were not that far removed from a Champions League win and a final. Um, So, you know, those two clubs just stood as this massive test Mm -hmm. and Fulham overcame the massive test in a way that I don't think anybody expected them to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So let's move on to the quarterfinals here. Yeah. Fulham's next tie. It's Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg. Another team that had dropped down from the Champions League. They came third behind Manchester United and CSK Moskva. So not like Moskva. Moskva. That's how they say it. So not, you know, not a crazy couple teams to finish behind. Not a terrible performance for them. They were the defending Bundesliga champions, but this season, Wolfsburg were a little different. The time of the ties, they'd been in the midst of a terrible run of form domestically. Mm. go 10 games without a win. They did not qualify for Europe, but they were led up front by future legend Edin Zeko. Love Zeko. Uh, they also had... Zeko was an absolute beast in their title winning season. Yeah. He was a maniac. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's still out there, scored today, mm-hmm. as we're recording in the Italian Supercoppa over yeah. in Saudi Arabia. I don't know Arabia. if I said this on air before, but I saw a thing on Twitter that Edin Dzeko has somehow, uh, has somehow underperformed his XG in each of the last, like, 11 seasons of his career. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's insane. insane. Especially because he was so prolific in the Bundesliga yeah. at the start. And I mean, he's been great with... for... With Roma, some yeah. of the years he had there, 14, 14, yeah. 16. He could just be a Darwin type or like with Darwin. Like, this is a guy okay, that's that like he's brilliant. He's goals and underscored, yeah. underperformed XG. He's just that's like insane. brilliant in getting into into spots, I guess. Yeah. But I we digress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Jekko, we love, I love Adam Jekko as a yeah. player. I think what he was able to do for Roma and Man City was really impressive. Uh-huh. Just a great player to play off of, too. Yeah. But Fulham were able to take advantage of, of their bad form here. Yeah. They uh they they won both legs by one. Uh, this was a pretty balanced tie in terms of chances created, but Fulham were far more clinical. First leg, Zamora scored a beauty from outside the box in the bottom corner, put the home side up, and Duff added a second just four minutes later after Zamora laid off to him in the box. Um, Wolfsburg stole a late goal from a corner. It was big, breathed life into the tie. 
um, for that away goal, but uh, Zamora canceled it out less than a minute into into the leg in uh, in Germany, where the ball sort of bounced around the D- Wolfsburg defensive half, just like mm. in the air. It's like yeah. header, header, header. Somehow it lands at Zamora's feet. He cuts back niftily to his left, finishes low, and that was basically it. They saw at the game, um, Schwarzer had to make a couple of saves, and Fulham were actually unlucky not to add another. Um, Simon Davis, for instance, had a 1v1 on goal, and uh, the keeper Benaglio had an outstanding save with his foot. One of the best saves I've ever seen, actually. Yeah. It's really incredible. Go check it out. Danny Murphy had another effort cleared off the goal line. So they were deserved winners in this case. Jekko had did have an effort go off the post and follow up cleared off the line, but it was good drama. But Fulham were deserved winners. Yeah, this was probably their easiest matchup on their way to the Weirdly, final, which yeah. is crazy because it's just the defending Bundesliga champions. It's yeah, it is the only time that they were just like comfortably slightly outplayed yeah, their yeah, opponents. Yeah. Uh, then they had their semifinal tie. They were matched up with a second straight Bundesliga team. They'd be going to the north of Germany to take on Hamburg. Yeah, if you're a recent footballing fan, you'd be like, Hamburg? You mean the one, the ones in the fucking second tier in Germany? Mm-hmm. Actually, if you're a recent fan, you probably wouldn't know anything about Hamburg. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, they were, you know, pretty big club. Pretty, they were once a really, really big club. Top four contenders. Time. Yeah, they'd already dropped a little bit, I think, by this uh-huh. time. But you know, they're still playing in the Europa League. They're still competing. This is right before they really drop off and start facing relegation every year mm-hmm. so they would eventually become what fulham had been in the early <laughs> mid 2000s what a so sad uh, but when they went down they have yet to come back up right so yep yeah they've struggled uh Shit but happens man this game was clouded literally by a <laughs> volcano which i will now try to pronounce go for it asia java jokul the, the the volcano in Iceland that erupted and basically shut down all of your. Those are space. E's and not J's. Yeah, yeah, I think we nailed that. Yeah, but it was a pretty major eruption. If you were live at the time, which I assume most of our listeners were, I don't know our viewership demographics. Yeah, how many thirteen-year-olds are? Yeah, and others. It was a big story because. All the airplanes in Europe were grounded for a while. Um, so kind of wild. Fulham had to travel by road with the ash or a cloud of ash just hanging over their heads. Damn. Um, packed all the players, staff, coaches, and equipment into two coach buses and took off. Awesome. The journey took 27 hours. They had awesome. Stay overnight in Munster. Oh, man, that uh, sucks. They got into a three-hour traffic jam during which some <laughs> of the Fulham players got off of the bus and practiced keep-ups, one-touch passes over on the side of the road. So imagine, like... Being in that's that traffic so folksy jam. and old school. Yeah, it's, it's just like a normal. Journey. That sounds that sounds like something you'd hear about in like the eighties. It does not sound like a two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine being like a German sitting in your car there, being like, "Is that, is that the Fulham football team?" They probably don't fucking know with Fulham. Like, is yeah. that the team Hamburg are supposed to play? <laughs> yeah. Um, Hamburg were focusing quite heavily on the Europa League in this uh, season, actually. The final was going to be played at their own stadium. Mm-hmm. Led to some struggles domestically, where they would finish seventh, and they failed to qualify for Europe. Uh, they were led almost single-handedly by Rude van Nistelrooy. Rude. Just, he had to shoulder such an overwhelming load for this team. Love but Rude. A couple other recognizable names on the team. Jerome Boateng was on that team. Nice. Marcus yeah. Berg, uh, Thomas Rincon, and mm-hmm. Zay Roberto. Uh, but, you know, it was just enough to make Hamburg pretty sizable favorites for this tie. I think yeah. that was the general consensus coming in. 
uh, nil-nil in Germany. A huge result for Fulham. Yeah. Fulham only had two shots in that first leg, mm-hmm. um, but Schwarzer came up big. They got their result. Yeah. Um, really put Hamburg under pressure there. Um, mm-hmm. It does. It sometimes seems that when the final is in your town, uh, it's not always a recipe for success. No. Yeah. Um, it's pretty rare that people go play a final in their home stadium. Yeah. And, and you know, second leg though, back at Craven Cottage. Another Hamburg's, another beauty. Yeah, Hamburg scored first. Another comeback. It was Petrick. Uh, now let me tell you about this Petrick goal, yeah. man. This was an incredible goal. First though, uh, Zamora had a huge chance, like two minutes in. Mm-hmm. Rost was able to get a big hand on it. Um, but and you know Fulham were the more dangerous side to start. But Petrick Petrick scored an absolutely outlandish free kick in the twenty second minute from some distance out. You got to look up this goal. It goes. It's one of the it's one of the better free kicks you'll see. Goes the top left corner with like a tons of pace. It's got to be at least twenty five yards out. Um, it's dipping. It's swerving. It's a remarkable goal, uh, and it counts for extra because it was the first away goal in the tie, which meant they led one and a half to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also Petrich's tenth goal in Europe that season. Yeah, he was having a good season. And it would be his last this year. Oh, oh pew, 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 pew. Because Cinderellas don't die. The dead don't die. Oh, what the is dead? dead? They never die. Don't die. Clint Dempsey comes on for the not fully fit Zamora in the second half. This is the this is the moment, right, when Dempsey found out he wasn't starting. Yes. Yeah, this game uh, pretty much is famous for what happened in the Fulham dressing room before kickoff, <laughs> as it is for the actual game itself. Uh-huh. Zamora had been struggling with his Keelys for pretty much the entire second Achilles. half of the season. He's not expected to be ready to play, but he just about managed to get himself fit enough. And Roy said, hey, I want to start the Englishman. Clint, you're going to be on the bench. And Clint did not take that well. <laughs> Roy pulled Clint into the changing room, let him know he wasn't playing. And then Clint ended up sticking his hand through a window, ripping a tendon. Clint wasn't best pleased. Uh, <laughs> Ripped the tendon and he came on in the uh, in the 50-something minute. Yeah, changed um, the game when he came on. Too. Yeah. Like, uh, and it wasn't him, though. It was Davies that actually gets the breakthrough in the 69th minute. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, he gets a nice through ball in the center of the pitch into the box from Murphy. But what it, what it, what happens when it arrives at his foot is what's so special about this goal. His first touch is with the outside of his right boot traps it. His second touch is a flick back in the other direction. And his third touch finishes past roast in the goal. Second, that second one completely turned the defender. Mm-hmm. It's also an excellent goal. This is a good game to watch highlights of yeah. really two really good goals. Sublime goal. His first ever European goal. Wow. Um and, and so but Hamburg are still winning because yeah. they have the away goal. Right. And so. the the winner though, it comes it comes from Gira. And it just in the in the in the way that Fulham was able to get past um Shakhtar and at times Juventus, it was perfectly sloppy. It was not a gorgeous finish like the other two goals in this game. The ball bounces around the box, um, takes a deflection after a corner lands at Gira's feet and he toe pokes at home <laughs> from close range. Um, and it's all because of Clint Dempsey. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Clint Dempsey's movement and just kind of passion and energy that game, I think made mm-hmm. a huge difference. But the other thing to watch is the full-time scenes mm, when yes. they, when the referee blows the whistle. This um, is where we get the tidal wave of on the Thames. It's an incredible. Yeah. It's an incredible scene. Um, still probably full, arguably Fulham's best ever moment as a club. Yeah. Um, Pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. You know, we attributed a lot of Fulham's success to Clint Dempsey. 
Roy Hodgson had a different take. He thought it was Craven Cottage that mm-hmm. made all the difference. For teams like Hamburg, Craver, Craven Cottage was a very different stadium to come to. What, with the little changing room, the narrow entrance to the field? I think coming out onto the pitch through that and seeing the sort of fanaticism mm-hmm. that the fans, fans around us showed was a major factor in helping us get to the final. All right, it's true. It's a much smaller stadium. It's an unusual thing to visit in Europe for sure. Yeah, at that at that at that stage of the tournament. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Hamburg stadium is like fifty thousand ish. I mean, Wolfsburg is a big stadium. stadium. Juventus's was around seventy thousand at the time. I mean, coming to Craven Cottage, it's it's a different feel. It's a very different feel. It's very very, English. Yes, and very very, close to the pitch. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's an important thing too. Narrow sidelines. One of the things that all the stadiums now that are being built are trying to kind of emulate mm-hmm. is that english like closeness to the game that germany the is good feel. at that too I mean, germany is good at that but i think germany was a little later to it than england was but they all have their like cages because people yeah. are too intense but yeah fulham make their one and only international final or excuse me uh not international what's the word international international final yeah <laughs> continental final? continental final the word i was looking for okay i mean and it is an international they final. play the uh once great and mighty Atletico Madrid, who uh, they had kind of a, kind of a wild like 10, 15 years. You know, at yeah. some point they got relegated, mm-hmm. been in title races. Yeah, uh, they were somewhere in between. You'd have to say they were coming off back, kind of a transition. It was right. It was before yeah. Simeone took over, mm-hmm. before Cholo was in charge. Was but slightly still after really their back to back fourth place finishes. Right, they still this had a lot of really good players after that. Yeah, so they. Fulham were heading back to Hamburg for the final. Um, Atletico were yet another team, though, that was kind of struggling domestically. Uh, they were going to finish ninth in La Liga after two fourth-place finishes. And, you know, so they were also yet another team that had dropped out of the Champions League. Mm-hmm. But this was probably the most embarrassing Champions League campaign. Uh, they only qualified for the Europa League on head-to-head away goals over Apoel in Cyprus. <laughs> Um, they finished the group stage with three draws, zero wins, drawing both games with Apoel and one against Chelsea getting demolished in all three other games against Porto and Chelsea. Embarrassing. Uh, it was so bad that they fired manager Abel Rezino and brought in Quinque Sanchez-Flores. Hell yeah, they did. Yeah. Very Quinque. Um, that away goals reliance would continue in the Europa League. Hmm. They started by knocking out Galatasaray, but it took a 90th minute winner from Diego Forlan. And then they needed away goals to get past Sporting, Valencia, and Liverpool. What is this, Portugal in Euro 2016? It Jesus is, yeah. Christ. They needed extra time against Liverpool, too, to even get that away goals result. Uh, despite the performances, the team was definitely not short on talent. I mean, Raul Garcia was still on the team. Aguero was there. Oh, a young Paul. Aguero. Yeah. And a not-so-young Diego Forlan. But this yes. was right before his uh, hugely impactful World Cup performance. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, like, contrary to the memory, I think, about Suarez. Forlan was the star of that team yeah. uh, in terms of performance. Suarez was great. Mm-hmm. But uh, Forlan had like five goals or something, six yeah, goals. He, he was a great tournament. He loved the Jubilani. Yeah. <laughs> Coke was on this team. He didn't play in the final, but he was on the team. Oh, cool, uh, cool, cool. David De Gea, young, exciting David De Gea in goal. 19. Uh, so young that even Roy Hodgson didn't really know if he was any good. <laughs> <Where's the skin? laughs> um, I think Fulham's players that would kind of admit the final didn't really go how they wanted to. And it was a playing issue, not a coaching issue. Hmm. Uh, Danny Murphy recollected that the final wasn't a great game. We canceled each other out a little bit. Uh, We were playing with the man down, really, because Bobby was struggling so much with that Achilles injury that we mentioned. He's got the start, but again, timing. 
We Reminds didn't... me of Harry Kane and the Championship Fund. Yeah. We didn't really do ourselves justice, Danny would add. Mm-hmm. Uh, so It's a shame. Yeah. Fortunately for Fulham, Atletico also kind of failed to do themselves any justice. It was a really sloppy game, sloppy goals. Atletico struck first, mishit shot falls to Diego Forlan's feet, and he just kind of taps, taps it, it in. in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Always in the right place, Diego. Yeah. Fulham actually scored the nice goal. It was... Uh, Davies again first it's a nice half. finish yeah, yeah for his second ever European goal. goal yeah uh yeah but honestly the goals are really looking back like the only highlights from the game it was a really oh I will say like it canceling saying you cancel themselves out I think is a little disservice to just like how many shots that like I had 27 shots the mm-hmm. Fulham's 11 10 on target so it wasn't like yeah they weren't at times they were peppering the goal yeah my recollection um, is that they weren't particularly well placed shot like not they weren't yeah. getting into great positions they were kind of forced yeah. into taking the shot yeah but they certainly had the better of the of the chances and and play yes yeah um yeah and yeah they did i was fulham you know with the they had this sort of mental fortitude the kind yeah. of thing that's hard to quantify um when talking about sports yeah um they just had sort of some something of a resolve that they were not going to be beaten in regulation they you know took it to extra time and we're deep 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 in extra time mm-hmm. five minutes ago i think it's 116th yeah. minute. well even before extra time though fulham yeah. had it's late in the game and in extra time fulham had said we're going for penalties like they mm. retracted all the way back they were like atletico we're just going to stop you from scoring i mean mm-hmm. conchesky said seeing there was five minutes ago and thinking just see this out we'll take penalties mm-hmm. we have one of the best goalkeepers you would want for penalties mm-hmm. obviously David De Gea was on the other side, and even Roy Hodgson remembered, like, underestimated him and just being like, oh. But De Gea is famously bad at penalties. Yeah, so maybe so, penalties were the right move. So that but... actually might have benefited them. I've yeah. never seen De Gea save a penalty. <laughs> Recall the uh, uh, Europa League final just a couple years ago against Villarreal, where he had the opportunity to save, like, 10 of them and didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was actually 10 of them. He, It was 11 penalties he did not save. Mm-hmm uh in a row yeah <laughs> that lost them the europa league final yeah um but yeah atletico had had were definitely on top of fulham and and the winner again came through came through forlon it was sort of a long ball that aguero just like sprints onto impressive energy in the 160th minute yeah, he seriously. just about gets it off the end line um and the low cross into the box mm-hmm. uh finds the foot of forlon yeah he, he gets a foot on it um it sort of deflects off the defender i don't remember if yeah. it was i don't remember which defender I don't it was remember either but, but and and it trickles in it's a really i mean it's good it's impressive like fitness from the two strikers up there absolutely um but it's a tough way to lose the final because it's not i mean it's just sort of like a lump it up goal yeah um it's a bit unfortunate and five minutes to go you think after all they'd been through here like the world deserved penalties, I think, in this tie. Yeah. They deserved to see what Fulham could do for penalties, mm-hmm. especially because they hadn't even been to extra time before in yeah. this, in this they'd tournament. They'd to, beaten everybody in regulation. If it gone to penalties and Fulham won, you're 100%, 100% saying they're a deserved winner. Like, this is a Fulham yeah. team that yeah, deserved yeah. to, would have been a very deserving yeah. winner. They didn't They didn't mm-hmm. snatch and grab really anything except for the shock dart, as we mentioned. Yeah. So, um, And that, I think, long out of people's memories, too, by that time. Yeah. Right, they were focused on beating Juventus and Hamburg and Wolfsburg. Um, yeah, but you know, and it's not like they were totally, completely out of the game against Atletico too, right? Mm. Atletico were obviously on top for the game, and it would have been a bit of a smash and grab, but it mm. wasn't like a crazy bad performance. Their defense yeah. played really, really well. Yeah, forced them into a lot of bad shots, but it does feel like they just kind of like 
didn't write the ending of their story. They yeah. were kind of suckered into believing and then hit once again with a little sucker punch. Yeah. And, you know, they yeah. compared it to the FA Cup final in 75, which Fulham got all the way to the final, lost to West Ham. And mm-hmm. it's just like Fulham can get there. But yeah. They can't quite do it. They can't finish the job. Yeah. Well, it's in some ways, it's part of why we wanted to, the fact that they didn't win mm-hmm. is why I think it's interesting to, to tell the story because yeah. fewer people know about it. Um, to remember that it wasn't even that long ago. No. And I think, even though I think it's unlikely for it, team like Fulham to do this sort of thing again given like the quality of the competition and in the Europa League these days um I think it's still like I think it's, it's gives some hope to teams a little smaller quality we talked about Rangers before mm-hmm. like Rangers probably of last year was probably like a similar level to this Fulham team yeah like and would never have finished higher than seventh in the Premier League so them going yeah, to absolutely. a final and almost winning also heartbreakingly losing and um is something I think that teams from this level can actually aspire to like uh it's doable you're yeah, not absolutely and it makes the, the competitions all the much better for it and that's why we love the europa league yeah because that shit doesn't happen in the champions league yeah. and it'd be really really nice if we could put like a little bow on this and mm-hmm. you know, be like you know stand block style ending where it cuts to black and it goes through and like oh this player would go on to win the world cup oh, yeah. for england the champions and, of five and england would go on to win a champions league dun, 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 dun. Hometown england. Club. Yeah. england went on to win the world cup with bobby zamora leading starring it. striker yeah 2010 it didn't quite roy, roy hudson moves to liverpool and wins the premier league it, it didn't quite happen that way it breaks the streak um the 20-year title drought yeah it didn't quite happen that way roy hodgson did get a job with liverpool couldn't turn that down could he Mm-mm. um didn't go well lasted only six months um <laughs> no that's what the that's what the, the cut to black yeah. titles are <laughs> they're all like horrible things yeah. bobby zamora would yeah. be forced to miss the world cup because yeah. his achilles became too big of an issue and he, he would he eventually peaked. play for england a couple times in that's nice 2010 and 2011 uh-huh. but never really this was sort of his peak um mm-hmm. in terms of um not necessarily quality but like for for like the highs yeah performance peak highs yeah. of of clutchness and like the the regularity of which he was putting knocking these in against like high, such high profile teams a lot of the times on the road yeah hard thing to recapture uh, absolutely and you know you mentioned it kind of being like his peak of highs and that's true for pretty much everyone yeah. on this team except like chris smalling but he was a baby yeah clint and dempsey. clint dempsey yeah. yeah was the other one i was thinking he was still like. he was still in his prime then mm-hmm. he went on to play pretty decently at tottenham yeah. for a little yeah. while and he had a great world cup after this yeah. too um and in 2014 yeah then fulham would go on to qualify for europe one more time for 2011 12 through fair play fair play good for them they did it yeah well, i don't even think nice it was guys. them it was everybody else yes that... the english teams in europe yeah they did well didn't get a lot of yellow they were cards. nice and got fulham they in. helped what? up injured opponents so fulham got to go why was it fulham i think they were the next highest team that hadn't qualified for europe i think that's how it worked uh but there weren't seventh place hadn't qualified for europe and they were eighth i think i Who the fair play was stuff was, was so stupid. weird and dumb it was stupid yeah um they couldn't recapture the magic they got knocked out in their group behind Twente and Vizsla Krakow. Mm, so mm, not their best performance. Not great. Yeah. No. You know, I think it culminated in 2014 with... Yeah, they went on a run where they were, you know, a series of good finishes. First under Hodgson, it was like 7th, 12th, and the cup final. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think 8th, 12th, 9th, something like that. Yeah, and then seventh, it culminates 12th. in 2014. They're finally relegated back to the Prem. 
mm-hmm. or back to the championship, sort of end, ending the cycle mm-hmm. um, and beginning a new cycle in which they were basically a yo-yo team again. Yeah, well, they were almost relegated from the championship two years later. They finished 20th in 2015-16. Christ. But two years after that, came back up through the playoffs and then down again that, like, huge influx of players and cash yeah. and went right down came right back up, up again uh decided not to buy that many again players, through the playoffs went back down them. yeah now yeah. they're back up and they look pretty good they're this good year. they're they're in seventh they right now they might qualify for europe again this I think year they're in seventh yeah yeah um, um so if they do we'll be talking about them on any given thursday yeah um but, but yeah. for now well i think we talk a little bit more about the legacy of this run like, sure for me this run helped establish the Premier League as like the league, right? Because mm. now I think, unless you're me, you'll pretty yeah, much didn't agree, to me agree that the Premier League is the best league, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would push back. Uh, or but the most high profile, league, yes, at, at least, very least. Um, best is subjective, and yeah. so many different things go into it. Um, but at the time, the Premier League was no, had not at all separated itself from. Italy, Germany, Spain, right? Mm-hmm. It was there was the big four, and then there was France, and then Portugal. There still Russia, is, right? There still is France yeah. somewhere. Um, it but England, Fulham were like the first real mid-table team, right, to go mm-hmm. all the way. Middlesbrough do some, yeah. Middlesbrough too was a good example. Yeah, earlier on, Middlesbrough yeah. made a deep run. I think mm-hmm. to the semis. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but I think that kind of helped establish because this is a time when the Premier League is really upping their spending. They're definitely spending more than other leagues by this point. Yeah. But they weren't getting Man City the results, it, right? It was, Man City had just been purchased. Yeah. They so they were on Man their City way. Um, so I, yeah, being a mid table team going all the way and taking out teams that were in the mid table at the time, but had a level of history that mm-hmm. Fulham hadn't even come close to. I mean, the team that had been in the equivalent of League Two in the 90s. Right to say yeah. we went from that to taking out Juventus. Wild, yeah. England's clearly better than Italy. Hopefully, league, Brentford right? is next to do that. Yeah, <laughs> and Brighton right. will be, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and so like Atletico yeah. are more historic. So even though they're in ninth, it's like okay, but it's Atletico, super famous right? club. Yeah, yeah. Same for Juventus. Always been and, like the third most famous mm-hmm. club. Yeah. Uh, so I think it really helped us out, and especially in American eyes, which was a mm-hmm. huge market at the time. They were just yeah. trying to break in there, and Clint Dempsey mm-hmm. scoring that goal it was awesome. Right? Yeah. So incredible, and it followed up with the World Cup, right? Yeah, it sold the Premier League to the U.S. I used to call full and that, full of Americans. Yeah, yeah, and I think it sold it to the U.S. in a way that no other league had been able to mm-hmm. at the time. Which you know is a big reason why the Premier League is so far away from the other leagues in terms of it's because of spending Fulham. and prestige. I think Fulham played a <laughs> really right good part. Here, like Fulham, Fulham is the is the reason. It is the, the Premier reason. League is the biggest is. league it is in the, the world. Reason. That's our thesis. Yeah, that's our thesis for today. Should we write that for our college thesis? Just like uh, Matuma yeah. wrote his about dribbling. Yeah, how cute is that? Yeah, how cute is that? But, well, yeah, so that's you my any, you have any thoughts, on, the thoughts on, on the team that invented the Premier League. Uh, that's just my thoughts on the legs of it. I do think you know, it, it's one of those kind of forgotten moments that it really put a team on the map and helped a league progress mm-hmm. it doesn't happen very much so we should cherish it cherish, cherish it. it yes and make sweet love next we'll it. get Karabag going to a final yeah azerbaijan Ooh. unless you're uh unless you're an Armenian listener in which case we play. hate Karabag. yeah fuck them um but until next time cheers to the english gaffer cheers to roy, cheers hodgson. To roy hodgson